So 2 Kings chapter 13, would you stand with me as we read from this passage? Those of you who know about anything about the Bible, 2 Kings, I say we don't read that much because there's not many good stories. <laughs> not many good stories in the, the king's books. There's two of them. Here's what it says. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to him, Take, I'm sorry. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elijah laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elijah said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you have made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Somebody say those last words with me. Only three times. Let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that our hearts will be opened and challenged and changed. And I pray that we will hear the word of God for what it is. The very words, the very oracles of your heart toward us. And I pray that we will hear what you are saying for such a time as this, that we will apply our lives to what you have said, and we will do it. And we thank you, God, for the honor and the privilege to hear your word. We give you our full attention in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. And we want to welcome our Taunton campus. And those of you watching online by video, welcome to you, everybody. Everybody in North Attleboro, let's give them a hand and welcome them on in. Good to see you. So what is up with this strange little story here in 2 Kings chapter 13? Pretty strange. You have two characters. First, you have a man named Elisha. He is the prophet of God, and he's dying. He has served Israel his entire life. He has done marvelous things, miracles beyond our comprehension. And he has been used mightily of God to keep the people of Israel from complete annihilation. And then you have this king, this king named Joash. Somebody say Joash. There's a lot of kings in the book Kings, First and Second Kings, and not many of them have good names. Joash. Anybody know any Joashes running around in America today? The reason why we don't have any Joashes is because Joash was a wicked king. There was good kings like Josiah, lots of Josiahs, but there's not many Joashes. Joash was evil. And Joash is at a place where many of us find ourselves sometimes. Uh, he's a, the son of a king who was even more wicked than him. His grandfather was wicked. His father was wicked. Joash was wicked. Joash's father's name was Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz. Somebody say Jehoahaz. Not many Jehoahazes running around either. And the reason is because he was incredibly evil. And he uh, disobeyed God so much that God 
basically handed every battle to the enemy that he fought. And their big enemy at that time was Syria. And Syria was coming and they were just annihilating Israel, left, right, and center. And, and he was so evil and he was so bad as a king that literally they lost so many battles they almost had no army left. They were down to their bare minimum. In fact, here's what it says. I'll put it up on the screen here. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 7. It says, so there was not left to Jehoahaz an army of more than 50 horsemen. 50. 50 horsemen. They had 150,000 at one point. 10 chariots. 10 chariots to their whole army. 10,000 footmen. And footmen, you know, they're not that, that powerful. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at the threshing. And so Jehoaz, or I'm sorry, Joash, has a problem. His father has left him with an evil legacy of unrighteousness and a a nation that is basically headed into complete uh, annihilation. And he has left him with no army, almost no army. And the Syrians are coming. These are ancient times. These people did not show compassion. And they were about to annihilate the people of Israel. And so Joash does what we all do when nothing else works. He cries out to God. And he comes to the prophet Elisha. And here's Elisha, and he's dying. He's ill, and pretty soon his life's going to end. And and, and and you got to get this in your hearts, in your minds. Elisha is like the last remnant, remnant of God's favor on the nation. And jo- Joash comes to him and throws himself on him and says, My father, my father, the horsemen and the chariots of Israel. In other words, that's a nice way of saying, Please don't die on us. We need you. Nothing else works. We need you to help us against the enemy. And, and Elisha, the man of God, helps him out. And he starts to give him some things to do. And I don't know if you noticed when I read it, but it was basically this big game of Simon Says breaks out. How many of you have ever pray, played Simon Says? When I was a kid, I had a youth pastor who was awesome at being a Simon Says leader, and he would do it real fast. Simon Says, put your hands out, put your hands in. And, and then you put your hands in, and he'd be like, ah, I didn't say Simon Says. And so the king is listening to the prophet, and the prophet is saying, and the king is doing, and there's this real intentionality to the story where the king gives a small command, and then he does the small command, then the king, then, I'm sorry, the prophet gives another small command, and he does the small command, and another small command, and he does it. And so it's going like this. He says, go get some arrows and a bow. So he goes and he gets some arrows and a bow. And then he says, open the, east, uh, the window eastward. And he opens the window eastward. And he says, draw the bow. And it draws the bow. He's the guy draws the bow. And then he says, shoot. And the king shoots. And he says, that's the arrow of victory. God is going to give the Syrians into your hand at Aphek. And then he says, I want you to take the rest of the arrows. And he picks up the rest of the arrows. And then he says, I want you to strike the ground with the rest of the arrows. And he gets down and he starts to strike the ground with the rest of the arrows. But at this moment, everything stops because at at that point, the king strikes the ground three times. And then he stops. And And the story that is already weird gets incredibly weirder at this moment. The prophet is angry. It says in verse 19 that the prophet of God or the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck 
five or six times. And you would have struck down in Syria until you have made an end of them. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. The Hebrew language has six words for anger. And they all vary from moderately angry to extremely furious. The one that is used here in verse 19 is the last one. The man of God is extremely furious with the king. He's not just mad. He's not just annoyed. He's not just bothered. He is angry to the nth degree. Why? What did he do? I mean, he did everything. He did all the steps. And then all that he did was he didn't strike the ground more than five or six times. I mean, how was he even supposed to know that he was supposed to strike the ground more than three times? And I looked at it, and I prayed about it, and I looked at it, and I prayed about it, and I realized here's what happened. He did everything that the prophet asked him to do, but when the prophet said strike the ground, and he started to strike the ground, the prophet never said stop. And if he had just kept striking the ground, if he had just kept doing what the man of God told him to do, he would have annihilated his enemies and the nation of Israel, the history of the entire nation, would have been completely different. But he stopped. He quit. He gave up. He was on the precipice of greatness and victory and ultimately complete deliverance from his enemies. And instead of that one one thing, just one mistake that he made, he stopped. I want to talk to you today about the follow-through. That's the message. The follow-through will get you through. How, how many are familiar with the phrase follow-through? So, some of you, most of you, good. Follow-through is a sports phrase. And what it really means is I have a kid who's... Uh, Baseball team just lost in his playoff game uh, yesterday, but nonetheless. Uh, the follow-through is what the coaches kept telling my son all season long. And the follow-through is the last and most important part of any good swing. You know how they teach you to swing. you got to stand, you know, with your feet parallel or perpendicular to the plate and to the pitch. you got to keep your head in. you got to keep your elbow up. you got to keep your shoulders back. you got to keep your knees bent. you got to keep your back straight. you got to keep your eyes on the ball. All those steps are important. And then the last step is to swing, but the final step in the swing is to do what? Follow through all the way to the end of the swing. Now, anybody who is a baseball fan, you probably know that the guy with the prettiest follow-through of all time was Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, know what I'm talking about. I mean, he just looked beautiful when he swung a bat. And it was the most beautiful follow. I mean, it just looked like one fluid, wonderful, awesome motion. And that's why the guy hit so many stinking home runs. He knew how to follow through. And that's what I want to tell you guys in this last part of Prosper. Follow through. The follow through is what gets you through. <laughs> it makes all the difference in your life, right? Because when somebody doesn't follow through, I, want, I need somebody who can throw a good fastball. <laughs> Nobody taunting. I wish I could throw it through the camera. 
Throw me a, throw me a fastball. Okay, let, let me show you a pitch that does not get the follow-through. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Pat. <laughs> but he's a big man, and he can take it. Give me the pit ball again. All right, now, now I'm going to follow through. Are you ready? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Are you ready? I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> you see these guns. You don't want that. Come on. The follow-through. It's such a, it's such a, it's such a small um, point of the swing or of the throw or of the punch or whatever you're doing in sports, but it's huge. It makes all the difference. We're a nation of people who don't know how to follow through. We're a church in many respects. The kingdom of God doesn't know how to follow through. You see, it's not about what we say we're going to do. It's not about what we hear that we should do. And it's not even about whether we agree with whether we say what we should do is what we should do. It doesn't matter. Do you know what matters? What we do. And it's so simple. But we forget it all the time. The follow through. Like, like, there's a lot of people. They'll go to the gym and they'll sign up because they know they should get in shape. And they do this amazing thing. The first visit, they're signing on a dotted line for the gym to debit their credit card automatically every month. They haven't even been there for five minutes. And then they sign up, and they agree to pay, and then they never show up. It's like, man, I wish we could do that for the church. You don't even have to come, just sign up and we're all set. I, I, I mean, that is one heck of a racket to get people's money and they don't even use your product. But you want to get in shape. I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to get in shape. But at some point, you've got to get on the treadmill and follow through. Amen. Amen. There are many couples. I've done many weddings. And they'll come up with these enormously elaborate ceremonies. And I, sometimes it's just like, oh, you know, as a pastor, because they need everything to be perfect. Everything to be according to their plan. I once did a wedding with, I think there was 20 people up here in the wedding party. I mean, enormous, right? And they all came in and it was orchestrated to the letter and and they come and they stand before me and they exchange their vows and then I say for better or for worse and they say for better or for worse till death, till death do us part and the music plays and they walk down the aisle but then worse actually shows up and now they're Checking Facebook for options <laughs> or something else like that. There are many dieters. They'll say, uh, their favorite phrase is, I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> one more cheat. One more, one more cheat. You can say you're going to diet until the cows come home. But at some point, you've got to follow through. 
The follow-through is what will get you through. Let me sum it up by this. Um, It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Your swing could be perfect from the very beginning all the way through the middle. It could be flawless, but if you hedge your bet on the last second, you're going to get a bunt single. Maybe if you're, like, lucky or pop up to the pitcher. Out. It's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. I love this scripture in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. It says, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. And patience is better than pride. There's a lot of Christians. I'm giving Jesus my life. Woo! (laughs) And like three years later, they're not even in church anymore. And it's like, follow through. Jesus shares a story. Uh, Let me read it to you from Matthew chapter 21. Oh, first off, if you're taking notes, point number one is this. It's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. In everything that you do in life and in faith. It is not about how you start, it's about how you finish. Are you prepared to finish? Here's what Jesus says. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But then later he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And that son said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus asked, which of the two did the will of the father? And they said the first. And he's talking to Pharisees here. And later on he says, truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Why? How do, how do prostitutes and tax collectors get ahead of religious people and Pharisees? Because they finished. It's not about how you started. It's not about the house that you were raised in. It's not about the family that you came from. It's not about how... Uh, mystical and powerful and emotional the moment that you came to Christ was that stuff comes and goes but God is looking for a couple of people who know how to follow through on what they said they would do and serve him until the end of their lives you know people I'm a pastor and people always say to me what are we going to do when the antichrist comes What are we going to do with the end times? Aren't you worried? Oh, and this is a big election issue. Oh, this is a huge election issue. Every time the guy Christians don't want to get elected gets elected, suddenly everybody's like, it's the end times. Jesus is coming soon, I'm telling you. And it's so funny. But nonetheless, people are always like, what are you going to do? What should we do? I'm a little bit worried about And and, and how? What do we do when it happens? Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Endure. (laughs) That's it. It's like there's no five-point plan here. (laughs) Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilence, sicknesses, disease, all over the place. Here's what you do. Endure. To the end, for those that endure to the end shall be saved. It's not about how you started. It's about how you finish. Are you ready to finish? Are you ready to go through this stuff? 
I thought Jesus was going to help me, you know, get my life right. I thought Jesus was going to help me have a great marriage. I thought Jesus was going to help me have great kids. I thought Jesus was going to give me a lot of money. I thought, I thought, I thought, and what you thought didn't happen. So now what? Who are you serving? What are you serving? Follow through. Follow through. You know, there's going to be some, there's going to be some times in your life where all you're going to be able to do is grin and bear it. It's like I just got a groan from a bunch of grin and bear it people right now. <laughs> You're like, mm. it's true. It's easy to get married. It's hard to stay married. It's easy to have a baby, except for women. That's hard. But it's easy to have, hey, it's fun to make a baby. But it's hard to raise a child and an adult. And, and, and how many know, you know that beautiful moment the baby comes, but then just prepare yourself. Because there's going to be a whole bunch of grin and bear at decades. Where, where you're going to want to do stuff that you used to do. Now you can. Well, what am I going to do? Endure. Finish what you started. You know, we're a great nation of starters. We're a terrible nation of finishers. we got to grow up. Maturity is the ability to stick it out when everything's going crappy. I wasn't going to say it, but I said it. That's maturity. You've got to go all the way. Galatians chapter 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is right, for at the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Amen. Habakkuk 2, 3, though the vision tarries, wait for it, for it will surely come to pass. In other words, you have a vision for your life. God wants you to go in this direction. You've been we've been talking about prosperity. We've been talking about making ends meet. We've been talking about getting ahead in life in this series. Doesn't matter what you heard, doesn't matter what you agree with, doesn't matter if you like it or don't like it, it matters if you do it. It matters if you do it. Which brings me to point number two, if you're taking notes. Listen closely to what God is telling you. Listen closely. The king, I think that he got so caught up in doing, you know, take the arrows, throw the arrows, you know, shoot the arrows, pull the bow, open the window. He got so caught up in doing that he stopped listening to the prophet. And the prophet was giving step-by-step -step direction. Now, some of you are even thinking this right now. How do I hear from God? How do I hear from God? How do I know what God is telling me? Listen, listen. God is speaking to you right now through the preaching of his word. Amen, someone? The, the, the preaching of the word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith is being built now through the preaching and teaching of God's word. Now, some of you are like, oh, no, 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 come on. This is just church. You're just, you're just giving us a speech. No. No, 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 it's much more than that. This is a holy moment. This is, this is a powerful moment where the word of God comes forth and you either receive it as it is the word of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, or you just disregard it and you disregard it to your own detriment. 
It's not me. Paul says, whoever rejects this word does not reject me, but the Lord who gave it to me. And so I want to challenge some of you because, look, it's, 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 it's pastor appreciation here at North Attleboro. So let me talk about the role of the pastor. Here, here's what the scriptures clearly say. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. That scripture, man, that is huge. And it's, it's, it's like a key to the blessing and the prosperity of your life. Listen to what your pastor is telling you. It is not just church. It is not just ritual. It is not just going through the motions or the religious actions of Christianity. It is a holy moment, an awesome moment, an opportunity for your heart to be changed and your mind to be renewed and your life to take a dramatically different direction. Ephesians chapter 4, he gave some to be pastors and teachers. For what? For what? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? You are the saints. Saints are not just dead people. Saints are living people. And they're not an NFL football team. They're right here. Amen. Is it so that we may be no longer tossed to and fro, carried by every wave of doctrine you, you need to get into a church and you need to submit to the authority of the church we we've got to do this because this is how we get solid and, and i get really frustrated with christians in america because we like the the, the the please me gospel you're saying things i don't want to hear anymore okay i'm going to go over to this church and hear what he has to say and then i'm going to go over there and it's just the the the, the uh, burger king gospel have it your way can't be like that we're not doing what the bible says when we do that i'm just keeping it real as pastor appreciation you have to love me today amen <laughs> proverbs verse 5 verse, verse 13 says i did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors and i am at the brink of ruin in the assembled congregation do you believe that God gives pastors? Do you believe that God gives teachers? Listen to them. Listen to what God is saying. And I've been challenging you for the past couple of weeks. Make Jesus Lord. Make Jesus Lord. He, can't, he has to be the controlling influence in your life. Not money. Not friends. Not popularity. Not opinion. Not children. Jesus is Lord. You follow him. I've been talking about giving, tithe, support the vision, support the mission, listen, stay away from sex. I've been talking about that way too much. My wife's like, get on with it. Okay, it's over now. You know, um, serve in the kingdom. The Bible says, seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. Put the kingdom first. What's the kingdom? The church is the kingdom. Serve it, love it, give yourself to it. God will bless you for it. Amen, pastor, that's good preaching. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Um, toughest part of this job, toughest part of this job is Monday. Oh, I hate Monday because I'm like, now what? My, my mind is like, now what? what? What's going on with the word that was preached? And, and the biggest frustration is 
75% of you will forget what is said on the weekend by Monday lunchtime. So what do we do? We do notes, and then we do small groups, sermon-based small groups. Yeah, let, me, let me tout these for a few moments for you. Because some of you are like, I don't like that. I did my own thing. That's why you get nowhere in life. You don't submit to the authority God has put over your life. You do not honor the authority God has put into your life. You do it your own way. You are a maverick Christian, and you know that does not go well for you. What we have in America drives me nuts. Maverick rogue agents in the army of the king of kings. I'm not listening to you. I'm doing my own thing. I want to talk about your sermon. I want to do my own thing. I want to do my John Bevere study. I want to do my uh, Joyce Meyer study. I want to do my Beth Moore study. And those people are wonderful. I thank God for them. They're powerful in the kingdom of God. But listen, there is a corporate aspect to growth that I think we fail to capture as the church of American Christians. This isn't do it on your own. This isn't try harder. This is get together in small group and let's work it out. Let's grow together. Amen. Amen. I like that. I like that. Let's all, let's all stay on the same page. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't do other things for your spiritual growth, but I am saying please support and follow the lead here because it will prosper you. It's follow through. That's what small groups are. That's all they are. Just follow through. You signed up? Show up. Follow through. You don't like it? Keep at it. Sometimes you don't like marriage. Keep at it. Sometimes you don't like raising kids. Keep at it. Sometimes you don't like your job. Keep at it. It's the follow through. I was watching a 2020. Love 2020. Baba Walters. And <laughs> it was an interview of billionaires. They had six billionaires in the program. One of them was um, uh, Paul Mitchell. Is the guy's name actually Paul Mitchell? I don't know if his name is Paul Mitchell. Is it Paul Mitchell? Does anybody know? Yes? Okay. So Paul Mitchell, who has the hair products, started out as a hairdresser and just started making products, and then now he's a billionaire. And, and she asked all six, of the, all six of them, what's the secret? Seriously, what's the secret to become a billionaire? He says, there are so many people that could be billionaires because all billionaires are, are people who tried and failed a million times but just kept at it. They just refused to quit. Follow through. And it's going to take some time maybe, but follow through. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Amen. All right, I've been talking to some of you after services. Uh, this series has been really powerful for many of you. And you come up to me and you say, oh, man, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. Look, don't talk to me because I have a bad counseling record. <laughs> I do. Everybody who I've counseled left the church. <laughs> you don't want to meet with me. Trust me, you don't want to meet with me. I don't have patience. I really don't. You know, so get into your small group and work it out. Follow through. Amen. Number three, don't limit what God can do. 
Uh, I got to be honest with you, this passage in 2 Kings chapter 13 had me messed up all week. And I was like, God, did you really lead me to this passage? This is ridiculous. He's hitting the ground. He stops. What's the deal? But it just kind of came to me late this afternoon. <laughs> Point number three. Seriously. Because you know me. I can't do two points. I can't do two points. I got to do three. And this was it. Don't limit God. Because if there's one thing that we get from Joash here, I, you know, I don't know why he stopped. I don't know what possessed him to. But he stopped at three, and he beat his army how many times? He beat his enemy three times. He limited what God could do. You say, that sounds, that doesn't sound right. How could we, how could we mere humans limit God? We can we can. Jesus was limited one time. He goes home to Nazareth. He goes in the synagogue. He starts preaching. They're like, whoa, this guy can preach. Then they start asking questions in Matthew chapter 14, or 13, I'm sorry. They say, hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? Is not his brother and mother, you know, mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph, Simon, Judas, aren't they all sisters? They're all here with us. Where did this man get these things? And then look at this, and they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household, verse 58, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They limited God. I hate that passage. Do you know why I hate that passage? Because I think of myself like this. What am I limiting God from doing in my life? Because I just don't follow through in faith. Right? What could God do in our church if we would just believe him for it? Right? Right? So we got this like 900000 mountain, $900,000 mountain to get the building. Let's believe God. Let's stop being so stinking faithless. And let's believe God. All things are possible with God. Amen. I like that. That's my kind of preaching right there. You know, I mean, what are you limiting God for in your life that God could be doing, but you're not even asking him to do it because you don't think he'll do it for you because you didn't grow up the right way. Because you were an alcoholic, because you were this, because you were that, because the system doesn't work for your advantage. Well, God owns the system. There's a guy that I admire. His name is John Wimber. And I don't know where, what church background you're from, but John Wimber, um, in the 1970s, got radically saved. And uh, he was, you know, he was a hippie. Uh, addict, drugs, alcohol, the whole deal gets radically saved, goes to this Presbyterian church, and he attends for like six months, and finally he asks one of the leaders, he's like, so when do we start doing it? They're like, doing what? He says, when do we start doing what Jesus started, what, did, what Jesus did? They're like, what are you talking about? He says, you know, the miracles, healings, 
the awesome works of power, when do we start doing that? When do we start reaching thousands of people for Jesus? When do we start doing what's actually in the Bible? They said to him, oh, we don't actually do that stuff. We just talk about it. He said, and this was an interview with Peter Jennings. You can find it on YouTube. It's, it's hysterical. He said, you got to understand something. I gave up alcohol and drugs for this thing. <laughs> and if all we're going to do is talk about stuff we can't do anymore, I don't want to do it anymore. And I think about that guy and that faith, and he left that church, and he go, joined the vineyard movement. He took over the vineyard leadership when it was in his infancy stage. And this was in 1981. He took it over, and by the time of his death in 1997, there was over 1,000 vineyard churches worldwide. 1,000 churches in 20 years. That's pretty awesome. That's what God can do with somebody who won't limit him. That's what God can do through you. What do you believe in God for? A couple of months ago, I shared a message. You got to want some stuff. You got to want some things to happen in your life. Some miracle stuff, some God stuff. For what reason? So that, number one, life is fun. <laughs> like, no wonder why people don't want to be a part of the church. We're so boring. We don't do anything that's actually outrageous. All we do is talk about the things that we don't do. <laughs> let's, let's do some stuff. Let's reach this community. Let's aim big for Jesus. Let's see some healings. Let's see some prophetic works. Let's see some baptisms in the Holy Spirit. Let's see God raise up an army and a generation who turn the world upside down. Come on. Don't limit God follow through the follow through will get you through it doesn't matter how you started it matters how you finish let's stand